Oh, I didn't see you there. Hi, come on in. It's Reanimated Podcast. I'm Stuart, and joining me is H.A. Conrad in a slightly less smoggy New York. Yeah, it was kind of, I felt a solidarity with you, Stuart, but apparently this was even worse than some of the things that you've dealt with. And Yeah, uh, I guess the, the, one, the one thing that you have better is that the fire isn't coming right after the smoke. Which right. is usually. <laughs> <laughs> would hope? I don't know. It looks kind of crazy. I mean, the when I checked earlier in the week up in Quebec, it was um, I think 110 fires and 100 were out of control. So that's not giving me a lot of confidence. Um, in terms, isn't it of... like humid up there? I don't understand how this is even. Well, or is, is, are you so... guys all just going through a drought? I think that they have been going through a drought, um, but we've definitely not had as much precipitation. Like it was a very dry winter overall. So, um, yeah. yeah. So, so climate change is amazing. Chicago's um, also been going through a drought and yep. um, I'm having that weird feeling of like somebody around where I live must've made a wish that it would rain here more. Cause I walked out of my house this morning and I'm getting sprinkled on in June in California. And it's like it, it rained raindrops on June 7th. But like this is just we're inside a cloud right now. It feels humid here in a way that it never does this time of year. And yet, like so much of the rest of the country and other countries seems to be having the adverse effect. And it feels like one of those stories where somebody made a wish for it to rain here now, but it's at the expense of those other yeah, places. Could be, could be. Um, a selfish wish. Yeah. Um, I will say, like, the the air quality, it was like you could definitely feel it. I was masking, as were most New Yorkers, but it was, especially on um, Wednesday and Thursday, it was the worst. And it it's was one of those funny masking effects, too, where everybody's masked outside and then they come inside and they take off their masks. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. And it was, I mean, there was, so I, I always wear my mask on the trains and uh, not necessarily just because of the COVID issue or the, you know, flu issue or whatever, but um, mainly because they did um, sort of a air quality report about the subways that is concerning. So I tend to wear my mask <laughs> in the subways. Okay. Um, there were certain stations, I guess, that were like way, way above helpful levels and um, of like air pollution, basically. And Helpfully, they also did not say which subway station. So um, I just figured as a general rule, it was probably a good idea. So I have been masking continuously. So I had enough on hand to deal with it. But normally, you know, you come up from the subway and you like rip the mask <laughs> when you get outside because it's just so restricting. And I had to kind of force myself to keep it on. But, yeah. um, you know. It was uh, it was definitely a weird couple of days. And I mean, you could definitely you could feel it. Um, and so in terms of breathing and, and difficulty breathing and things like that. So I'm glad it only lasted a couple of days. Unfortunately, our, our friends down in uh, D.C. and other other places are now getting it, but not quite as it's definitely not at the levels that it was um, for comparison. I think it's like one some hundred something down in D.C. today. And uh, yeah. My kids played height. soccer in that in that level of AQI before. At the at the height, I think the AQI was I think it was like almost four fifty. I could be wrong about that, but it was in the four hundreds. Apps and like uh, uh, four eighty four is what I'm seeing at the worst, which is I've never pretty, seen. Pretty crazy, right? Um, yeah. So, and it tops out at five hundred. So that's not helpful, or it's it's like really concerning. It's probably <laughs> so, like London during Dick, Dickens' time levels know, maybe, of smog. Maybe. Um, Anyway, uh, so uh, that that was my week. Uh, that was your uh, little end of the world sneak yep, peek. Yep, yep. Um, but uh, today it was like 21. So uh, definitely dropped down to the levels. But that being said, I mean, if the because the fires are still continuing. So if anything happens, it could shift and the same thing could happen. So hopefully it doesn't. But definitely uh, terrifying. So, you know. But, super, you know, super I bad. That's us up to talk about. Well, and, and you're feeling better, so that's good news. Yeah, after, um, I, uh, Paxlovid, Paxlovid successfully burned the COVID out of me, but mm. left a bit of a hollow husk in its way in its place for a couple of days. But I'm I'm building back better. <laughs> Are you feeling still fatigued? I would imagine. Uh, not yeah, like yeah, definitely. Over the last few days, it's been it's been a lot, and you know, school just got out for summer, and so. 
kids have a lot of energy, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, so I'm trying to keep up, just trying to keep up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're feeling better. Um, and you know, I, like we're, we're set up to talk about the next couple episodes of silo. And, uh, before we get to that, uh, there was, uh, a trailer for the new remake, the remake of One Cut of the Dead, and um, I, what, what are your thoughts on this? So this is- was, I saw this in a Polygon article. Polygon tends to be a pretty thoughtful platform for news about games and um and film, and uh, they were saying like, you know, this movie's good; it deserves to have an audience, but it's going to have a hard time just because of the saturation of the market. Mm. Which I'm starting to wonder if that's really true. Maybe it was saturated and that's why there's now a lull in content, but it doesn't feel saturated at the moment. Um, if anything, this movie is going to have a hard time finding an audience because it is a remake of One yeah. Cut of the Dead, which was really good and original in its own right. I don't right. know how much of an audience that got as a niche Japanese language product, but this is called Final Cut. Can you tell what country it's from? It was at Cannes. Don't know. Um, don't, it, there's well, no language. There's no spoken dialogue in the trailer, so you yeah. don't even know what language the movie is in. Um, I don't know. I think it's supposed to be French, but I'm not positive if that's yeah. where they filmed it. Um, and I also, even watching the trailer, it's like I am not seeing. I mean, it is literally a remake of One Cut of the Dead, and yeah, you're seeing shots that look very familiar. Yeah, and so I also agree with you that I think that that's what the problem is going to be. Is that, I mean, I I kind of feel, and maybe it's just giving it to like a broader market. I don't know, but like, I know that most people that are into these kinds of films, like you and I, are have seen the original and kind of also are puzzled about <laughs> why they would do such a direct remake um so i don't know um i i'm probably gonna watch it just because you know just because well i'm just curious to see like did they do anything different i don't know but um as you know i was a huge fan of the the original and so i just you know i i i again i'm a little skeptical about the fact that they decided to do almost like a blow by blow remake or at least that's what it appears to be with the trailer oh, but, it certainly you know, looks like I that can't, yeah. i can't help myself i'm gonna have to watch it anyway um so i guess we'll see about that um but yeah i don't think it's saturation in the market that would cause people not to watch this but um but anyway um but we don't really have that much news other than that today yeah and you know speaking of saturation and i don't think that's the issue necessary. I mean, partially it is. It's this whole like weird cliff that streamers have fallen off of in the last six months is what I think we are looking at right now. It's COVID ending and oh yeah, I think so uh, too. And the just these giant financial problems that streamers appear appear to have found themselves in. Um and, and that's why we're looking at still no news on things like ZOM 100, Bucket List of the Dead. No news on Kingdom season four. Not even no. It's not even known if it's going to be renewed. Uh, there's no news about All of Us Are Dead season two. That has been announced, but there's nothing beyond that announcement, as far as I know. Um, Planet of the Dead, Zack Snyder. That's not going to be happening until after Rebel Moon comes out, and that's been announced for December of this year, which I am actually very excited for. I love me a sci-fi space opera, and Zack Snyder probably can do a good job of that. Uh, you know, with the caveats, the grains of salt that we usually apply to those statements. For Zach Zach. Snyder? Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> but, so there's so there's some really high quality projects out there that are just sort of not happening. I mean, Black Summer season three, I've I look at I look for every so often. And I'm always disappointed to see that nothing's there. I, and because so many of these eggs are in the basket of Netflix, I it gives me a lot of concern because it doesn't feel like that organization is interested in making content right now. Oh, one, there was one thing I did see. Um, it was an article about um, sort of like a resurgence and reimagining of science fiction in Latin America, including zombie genre and other things. That was in the New York times. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, so that was one thing that I thought was kind of interesting just in terms of like thinking about um, 
different markets and different places where things new things might come and it was it was actually kind of cool to read the article about it and just sort of how some of these things and stories are being told and reimagined and i mean there's sort of there's classics and things like that that are being um sort of like snapped up by different people and and it's become a, a genre that's become very popular um so i'm kind of curious to see um what stories or what things come out of um of south america in terms of uh some of these different uh, different projects and ideas um and it's not i mean it's yes zombies um but it's also you know aliens and things and and all sorts of kind of cool things uh woven into some of the different um like mythologies that are in uh latin america and then um there's also like obviously i think uh climate apocalypse and deforestation themes and things like that so mm -hmm. um and and definitely things that have been impacted stories that have been impacted by the um the pandemic and things like that so i am going to check out a couple of the authors that they recommended if i can find translations but um i'll report back but i thought that that was like a really cool article so we'll probably we should throw that in the notes yeah it's just a uh, you know paywall I couldn't read it because I'd I'd looked at. So you're like not my, a subscriber to the I'd, New York Times. Why? I'm like, that's how many miles away is New York? Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's. I don't know what their limit of free articles is, but I feel like anytime I try to click on a, a New York Times article, it's like, well, you've you've looked at your free article for the year. I don't, like, what? How, how do they calculate that exactly? Because I I never get to read them. It feels like anyway. Also, I pay for New York Times cooking. So thank you very much. I do get I do uh, get a lot of that content. All right. We'll put the link in anyway. <laughs> uh, all right. However, enough uh, of my haranguing of the American media landscape. Let's talk about Silo episodes three and four uh, entitled Machines and Truth. Machines is. Oh, Machines is written by Ingrid Escalleda and directed by Morton Tildum. So let's get into it. Uh, this one opens with Nicole, Nicole, <laughs> Nichols, Juliet Nichols climbing back up the rope in a feat of strength unparalleled right. in, uh, you know, junior high gym class. Right. And Slide all the way down 100 feet of rope and then climb back up to the top again. They kind of just hand wave over that, too, that accomplishment. They do, but they give her a huge panic attack and drinking bout afterwards, which <laughs> um, were, was super stressful to watch. Um, she's drinking like this, like moonshine or something yeah. that seems pretty bad and doesn't have a good effect on her. Um, she basically pukes all over the place. Um, thankfully, we don't have to watch that part uh, yeah. we get to have her friend talk about the aftermath, but it's you know, it's a little rough. Um, yeah, her friend is uh, the character Shirley, who doesn't get a lot of uh, introduction. She's just kind of there. She is. And we see her as a child, as a teenager later on in these episodes also. But that's uh, Shirley. And Shirley is played by who is Shirley played by? Oh, just a moment. I do want to call her out, but she doesn't have a. Um, she does not have a Wikipedia page, but she does a decent job. And she has some, some, oh, Re Remy Miller, Remy Milner is, oh, and she uh, Wikipedia. I'm yeah. sort of surprised because, um, I, she's really great, but I felt like I had seen her in something else. She carries a lot in this episode, right? Like not only is she, uh, reviving, uh, jewels, but she does a lot of expo um, ex exposition and, uh, yelling later in this episode during the very fraught oh, uh, generator I scenes. Her. I know where I knew her from. She was in um, his Dark Materials. Oh yeah, I haven't seen all. I haven't seen that in a long time. Yep. So I knew she was in some. Uh, that's what I'm. I'm recognizing. American her. or English? I think uh, is she. If she's definitely English. Okay. English. I mean, with this cast, that is unsurprising since so many of them are an English actor. Born in London, doing an American accent for this show. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I like how she's kind of there and she's definitely got an active role in this particular episode in yeah. 
some really amazing ways. And then when we see the flashback, she like, I like how there isn't all that much that you see between them, but they show a lot between these two just by like the flashback and by what happens to them in this episode or their interactions in this episode. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, And it's also, you learn some things about Nichols at this point, which is like, she doesn't really drink. So this is like kind of a shocking thing for Shirley to have found her in the state. Um, And then (laughs) it's even like more fraught because things are happening with the, the generator and the the rotor. she picked the wrong day to be hung over really picked the wrong day to be hung over and just i i really kind of loved this whole sequence where she's really like barely able to get out of her bunk but then had kind of has to force herself to and not only forces herself to but has to like basically go and save the day again and then this is like a constant thing and um you know and she's not she's she's like a destructive character like she's self-destructive but also destructive to a lot of people around her so uh cooper who's her little like shadow apprentice guy because she hasn't been around was told to go and try to fix this massive problem um and this is the thing that she keeps patching up like you keep hearing this horrible noise like and this is the whole the gen this is the whole thing that's powering the whole silo so it's not this is not minor um and um, I really kind of liked the contrast between sort of the beginning when she's, you know, hanging down the rope in that well or whatever it is. And you see all the massive equipment around her, um, things that are defunct, things that are not working anymore. And then knowing that she's responsible for keeping this whole silo going. Um, and so, you know, knowing that it's possible for things to stop working and, and that they, you know, can be defunct and things like that. I don't know. I just kind of liked that idea that they're kind of putting that into the audience's head um, that if this thing does fail, we're talking about, and they talk about this and certain people talk about this, but if this whole thing does fail, they're talking about the basically complete uh, destruction of this whole little society. Well, they, they actually don't even talk about it as destruction. They talk about it as living off the backup generator in the dark for the rest of time. Right. All of their farming levels seem to rely on light. Uh, And I don't think it's not clear to me that the backup could generate the light for their plants. So I feel like it would be the end of society. But people they're not actually really framing it that way. They're not not immediately, but they're also kind of framing it as like some nuts will like open up the whole silo and like, you know, all the poison air in like that. It's not just the the lack of power and stuff. And it probably wouldn't be the lack of power that would, would kill them more quickly it's probably the panic that would set in um and without light we know how people are really awesome um so um i think uh so anyway i thought how they set this whole up and the the tension up and the the stakes were really high um the fact Uh, that i thought that that was pretty cool it is cool as a meta commentary on this episode i think it's a real uh design oversight by the um, founders to have made a generator that you can't shut down for repairs. <laughs> like, well, we don't know what kind of a we don't know what kind of a um, situation they were in. Um, so sure, we yeah, but I feel like they thought about so many other things. Like this society has been painstakingly cr- created um, that they would have well, had they would have had a way to be like, all right, what if there's a problem with the turbine and we have to get in there and fix it? There better be a way to shut it down for more than 25 minutes. Like I feel well, like that's just a simple thing. I think it could be a simple thing, but there's also not um I think not in this episode, but in the next episode they talk about things that have been forgotten. Um and I think that there's okay, there's just a lot of loss of like history. Maybe there was a failsafe and they don't know about it. Mm. Um, or they've forgotten about it or it's been lost into the sort of like, you know. Yeah, because um, one one of the pieces of missing information during the uh, the planning phase of this episode where it's actually Shirley who's describing how, how everything works. She's like, the steam comes from down deep. We don't know where. Like, that's just a, right, it just so, comes. We don't know how to make it stop. Right, so that to me means they pro- there probably maybe. was a way, but they maybe have forgotten it. And, you know, and this is also an interesting commentary because they spend, Judicial spends all this time trying to stop people from asking questions. Um, and then you lose, you know, knowledge in that way. You definitely um, get the so- sense, though, that Judicial, if they were to see what was going on in the generator room, 
like this is an existential threat to the to the to the silo but most people don't even perceive it that way like later on and i'm i know i'm like skipping ahead a little bit but bernard is just mad that the power got turned off like that was an inconvenience for him maybe it was even more than an inconvenience maybe it actually hurt it in some way but like he doesn't he has no concept of how close they came to an actual like destruction event and well, you get the, I, I think again, the, the judicial would be in the same in the same yeah, but that's again why the mayor you know was in her position and um yeah. you know i like again bernard is making more and more of a showing in these episodes so you mm-hmm. learn a lot more about him and i think there's a lot more there that we will learn about um, we shall it's it's all um, it's just uh it's interesting knowing some of the meta plot you know um aj that we that we know from having read the books right. that that they that Bernard and Judicial still seem kind of ignorant, but I guess it's not that surprising. Yeah. Um, okay, but uh, back to back to what's going on. Um, we we also have some the the B plot here, which is that Marnes and Johns, Mayor Johns and Deputy Marnes, those names are a little too alliterative to say quickly together, are doing a they're walking the silo, they're going all the way down from the tippity top to the bottom to meet with Juliet Nichols, but it takes, as we know, it takes all day. And yeah. um, so we have a couple different scenes of them um, stopping on the way down, like stopping right in front of the door to judicial to not go and say hi to Judge Meadows, which becomes a bit of an issue. They do stop in and talk to Bernard, which is cordial, but also a little a little tense. Yeah. Um, but I, some of these scenes these scenes are doing a lot of work in, in elaborating on the uh, political intrigue and web of that kind of power dynamic in the the silo. Cause because of all the power that they've ascribed to judicial already, the fear um, and that relationship between the sheriffs and the judicial's enforcers and how that works. It's, it's very interesting that John's, and it is her doing this is just like kind of playing people and and making her moves. And I thought it was pretty cool to, uh, to see her do her thing. Yeah. And she's also gathering knowledge. Like she knows there's some weird things going on. So I think she's also kind of, um, you know, she's both campaigning, but she's also information gathering. Um, there's a huge mystery um, about, you know, why Juliet was named um, as the sheriff. Uh, she doesn't know what it is, but she knows she doesn't trust judicial. So, like, she's she's kind of doing... And there's another reason, obviously, why and she, we find out later why she's making this journey. But, you know, she kind of sends word ahead so that the people know she's coming and are cheering. And she's basically, you know, she's glad-handing a bit. and um, But also giving herself cover to do a little bit of reconnaissance. So, um she has this stop in the mids to basically not qu- sort of question uh, Juliet Nichols' father. You mean Jorah Mormont? Yes, which I was about to say. It was kind of cool. It was so cool to see him. Um, and but I think now, he- now sporting an American accent, like yeah. uh, like I said. Um, but it was it was really great to see him, and he plays this role really well. And there's also like a you know the other thing that is really revealed um and i mean they it's pretty obvious but this becomes even more obvious is that there is you know we all we already knew that there was a class system depending on the levels lower levels are definitely lower class and as you go up and um the fact that juliet's father's a doctor and that she's down mechanical is a big deal like that's something that does not normally happen you and it's it there's this idea that something went wrong in that it happened um so that was sort of the line of questioning that mayor johns is is asking him about and even how she's questioning him when he leaves her comment to marns is oh well uh more questions than answers um and you know he his her juliet's father's basic answer is that oh we you know they keep kind of referring to the death of of Juliet's mother and her brother in these like couch terms, like not being direct about it, but um, basically said that we can see in the next episode, we can get a sense. Her brother was not well. Yeah. But and they talked about suicide in relation to uh, Jules in one of the earlier episodes. So, you know, we can assume we can assume what happened. I don't know that the show is going to actually show us 
But I, don't, um, I feel like they're not, um, but I don't know that they need to um, yeah, because you can put it together they show enough of the and, and as the, these episodes go on, they show enough of an app like in flashbacks, they show enough of the aftermath of what made Juliet become Juliet in really kind of a, like a really well um, the storytelling was excellent. I thought honestly um, jumping ahead a little to the, the episode four, her dad is a piece of work, man. Jorah Mormont. Yeah. Falling down on the job again. Yep. He plays, he honestly, this dude, uh, I forget what his name is. He plays a good sort of flawed, flawed oh, character. Totally. Um, and yeah, like, and it's, it's not just Juliet that notices it. You know, he, he's not able to sort of help through his grief. He's not able to support her. Um, she's basically kind of left her own devices and um, even to the point. And again, we learn how things happen in the silo, which is that, um, I liked the how they tied this together, but um, she you're supposed to bring any materials for somebody that's died that they can't use anymore. You're supposed to bring it to recycling so other people in the silo can use it. Uh, but what this essentially means is erasing the existence of your loved one from the apartment. And so in this case, it's her mother and her brother. And her dad basically tells her to do it. This kid who's like 13 years old. And even the guy at the recycling place tells her, this is wrong that you're doing this alone. Yeah. And also, um, you can keep some of this stuff. You don't have to recycle it right. all. And he says that. And, like, you know, she keeps this little, like, toy of her brother's, this little stuffed animal. And, um, you know, and so you see, oh, I guess that isn't quite as hard, heartless and clinical as I thought it was. But even so, um, you see how she becomes who she is, um, that she cannot rely on her father. So she figures out a way to um basically survive and it's it's not a perfect survival um because she's built up a lot of walls and she's built up a lot of habits that don't serve her well in other places but basically she's like i'm not going to stay in this in this um this sort of like apartment of sadness with my dad in this like bubble well he's um, not even there which is the thing she's basically just left by herself yeah she's yeah. like i've got to work i've got to work every single but, day and i'm going to go in early and come home late Yep. Uh, she, so, yeah. she, but she comes up with her own plan, and she basically forges a note from him and and apprentices herself to mechanical. Um, you get the sense that her mother had some kind of connection yeah. with mechanical because Walker knew her. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then Walker's, you know, and and it also gives you a lot of information about Walker. Walker's never left her little um, workshop, and but knew Juliet's mother. And it's not exactly an easy entry because Walker questions it and then figures out, obviously, that's a forged letter. Um, But ultimately, Juliet is apprenticed down there and meets Shirley and also finds out, like, again, it gives you, like, these sort of insights into the class system and into the different jobs in the silo. So there's some contradictions because you hear oh, everybody Everybody is supporting the survival of the silo, but some jobs are better than others. And also, if people have been doing wrong, then they're tasked to this weird recycling thing, um, that this <laughs> duty. And, yeah. you know, and, and Walker even kind of makes Juliet do this just to, like, I think... I think this is the where, where, kids, where kids start out, yeah. Yeah. Um, but even... It's just interesting, she, too, that she... Her first, her first assignment is being Knox's shadow, which she is in the current timeline yep. also which is kind of interesting uh, so that was cool seeing young Knox and that they've known each other that long yeah. um and and also seeing some of the workings of the silos so the recycling stuff has a schedule every single level has their own timing um they send down a lot of stuff that can be fixed um there's things that you bring to walker walker has like a list of things that she wants um so there's all sorts of information and i think that the storytelling was really tight on this um Oh, the Even world just, building in this show is kind of like unparalleled. I mean, yeah, it, 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 yeah. It's, they're doing they're doing a real a real huge amount of work, but in the actual plot. Um, so one of the things that's happened in episode three is not, uh, after she decks Cooper and fixes the generator, Knox has to punish her. He's like, "Look, you can't just punch your shadow. So you're you you're suspended. Go do tickets." She goes into Walker's repair shop uh, workshop and then kind of blows up at her too because she's really bad at talking about her feelings um right but ultimately even her punishment is kind of short-lived because yeah because she, she ends she up having to storms rescue out. 
She has to rescue the silo again because that's, that's just... after she's already walked out of her punishment. Like she, she's not even in there for like five minutes because she's giving yeah. Walker a hard time for being a recluse and saying, "I why am I even listening to you and stuff? And so yeah. we're learning. We haven't really figured out why Walker is a recluse other than she was married. We learned that actually in this episode um, yep. when Mayor Johns goes to Walker for uh, getting the juice about Jules. Uh, so Walker is is like a not very well hidden secret leader of mechanical. It seems like it's obviously uh, Jules goes to her. Jules knows to write a forged letter to Walker mm-hmm. in her workshop when she's 13. So maybe it's not even like a badly hidden secret. Maybe it's just like Walker is clearly the leader of mechanical when it feels but like it's probably not mom, so maybe she heard about it from her mom it's hard to know all i guess that, so yeah yeah um and you know that's again mayor john's is information gathering and then she gets to see jules in action um before we and, get and- down there there's this nice scene of uh, it's part of their journey down um they stop on one of the mid levels in a park there's a freaking park yeah. with like an outdoor cafe i mean it's indoor obviously it's in a silo well, but they're having like this nice time. Marnes is telling Johns about his first arrest and then his second arrest, which was a funny story because it's the same two people doing the same drunken activity uh, in the park, um, which was funny. And then Common stops by to make to offer a thinly veiled strawberry tart threat, um, which Johns really, calls comes, out immediately. Yeah, he comes like bearing gifts and uh, he's. You know, and I I love Common. I love that he's been doing a lot of acting. He was like in Never Have I Ever, uh, in I I don't know if it was the first or second season, but he was great. Um, and was he doing a comedic role? He was actually the love interest of uh oh, of of uh, Davy's mother, um, in in it, and it's and he's really good. Like he plays this like uh competitor dentist to her and he's really awesome so um i was sad he didn't it was just like a kind of a cameo because he wasn't on a, he was on it for like a few episodes and then and then written off uh i think as part of the normal plot but maybe they'll bring him back i always hope um but in any case he's really good at being charming but also threatening in this particular role yeah and- like it's it's a I don't know what it is about the performance or it's, it's the script. It's really good. It's but it, really nuanced. Um, it feels so close to a threat when he's saying all... Actually, no, he's saying things in a nice way. But then he's like, yeah, no, this was just a gesture um, and a nudge because you didn't stop in and say hi to Judge yep. Meadows. <laughs> yeah, so like, he does this nice little like passive-aggressive like call out and it's... yeah. Um, and it's even a little bit more aggressive than passive, but it's, it is it, a little it turns a little more aggressive because then he just makes it a pitch for Billings. Right. Um, yeah. But he starts it out in such a smooth way. And it's it's he's so good. His delivery is amazing. And I have to say, uh, Mayor Johns, um, the the actor who who plays her, like her interaction with him, it's so good because it's like she totally has his number she's very smart i love how they portray her in this way her name is geraldine james yeah and nobody gets anything up on her except obviously we'll talk about what happens later except obviously obviously the the thing that happens later and that's what that makes that so shocking um is that she's really um just like very sharp there's you get you know why she has been mayor for as long as she has well you definitely get that when she goes to level 50 and she's talking about the babies and yeah definitely um but this interaction it's like and then you know she makes some comment that's that that much sugar is bad for your heart or like whatever it is and (laughs) and Uh it's really uh it's really kind of a, just a really great interaction between the the two of them and illustrates the tension with judicial so extraordinarily well. Um, so I just thought that that was just an excellent, um, again, just just great at building up the tension between judicial and, and Mayor Johns and and the, the sheriff's office and also seeing why she's so resistant to putting the person that they have named as the person that they want as the sheriff you can see why she's she's fighting that because it doesn't feel like it is for the good of the silo it feels like there's some nefarious background things happening so um and she just shows her strength she's like yeah okay 
take your tart back. Just eat it yourself. <laughs> and she's just <laughs> like, and I'll continue down the stairs on my merry way. And uh, so I thought that that was such a great scene between the two of them. Yeah. It, well, I really, I did like that scene a lot. Also just felt that there's, it's great that there's this like space in the silo that doesn't feel claustrophobic. It, it almost feels nice. Like it's a, it feels like an outdoor cafe. Obviously it's not, but the feeling of it was, was really good. Um, So yeah, the, the, as you said, they, they basically arrive in the um, control room as Jules has run in there because the whole thing starts shaking again. And uh, they're just standing there with Knox. Knox is played by this guy. What's his name? Oh, Shane McRae. He's oh, yeah. one of the rare American right. actors on the show. He's pretty good. He was in a really good show that came out in the last year called Alaska Daily, uh, which if you haven't seen, you should check it out. It's If you're into journalism or have been a journalist, it really hits you as one of those shows that is well-researched. Um, and so he he was just on, on our TV not long ago, and now we're watching him again. So my wife and I are enjoying his turn here as a very different sort of character. Yeah. And he's uh, great because it's like, you know, it's kind of funny because, yeah, Jules saddles him, but she clearly is a little bit more like he's he's in charge and and he understands certain things, but he is not willing to sort of put certain things on the line. And so the big thing that mm -hmm. they keep talking about is the fact that they need to shut this thing down to fix it. They It's going to go off the rails. And it's sort of like and she keeps saying things to him like it's better if it's on our schedule versus us trying to do an unfixable crisis because it's getting to that point. Um, and they both, you know, have this knowledge because she says the vibration, the sound of the vibration is changing. He's like, you're right. And then they do this fantastic demonstration about what's going wrong. That if like one of the blades is nicked and, you know, and she does this whole, uh, I didn't, did you think it was like a deliberate inception, like homage with when they use the little top spin? To, to oh no I, I did not make that connection but i haven't oh. i'm not yeah it's obviously it is similar um but anyway you know they you and not only that but they show the audience why this is so important to fix and why it would be logical to do a like scheduled shutdown um there's a lot of complications with that because um you know obviously if power goes out the confidence of the population is it's you know not th the best and people might be aggressive or scared or take the advantage of take advantage of the fact that the power is out and then there's also this underlying fear that the power might not come back on again so there's a huge risk in doing this um and then it gets and then they even build the stakes higher on this which is that they're like oh we'll shut down the power for what did they say like eight hours or ten yeah, hours eight hours but really they only have a half hour window to do this because they don't have enough knowledge of like the mechanism to to do this safely because of the steam buildup so so they really they make this like this um like um incredibly urgent but also effective um mechanism to get jules to you know fix this underlying issue so that she doesn't have to worry about it when she goes to like be the sheriff um but, to, but can we talk about that uh, that decision first yeah. before we get to the whole i mean it's a it's the second half of this episode is the repair it is like a really exciting Mm -hmm. um sequence and i remember it being really good in the book too mm -hmm. uh it it's like the most exciting things kind of in a way that's happened in this show yeah. so far at least in terms of like high octane certainly is um but so mayor johns comes into mechanical and witnesses juliet being sealed inside the generator uh mm -hmm. like after standing there with her hand on it listening to it she's like watching her she's she's studying her she sees her go inside the generator. She's like, I'll be back. And that's when she goes and talks to Walker. When she comes back, as soon as she comes back from talking to Walker and Juliet is standing in the control room and she's just had this funny interaction with Marnes where she's like, am I under arrest or something? And he just looks at her and goes, should you be? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which I thought was great because she doesn't quite, she's looking awkward. Like uh, uh, Rebecca Ferguson is doing a great job of playing this like socially awkward and yet super confident person is that, you know, like she's, she's quite a, she's quite an interesting character is Juliet Nichols as played by Rebecca Ferguson. But so Johns walks into the room and says, okay, so Holston picked you to be the sheriff. Nobody wants you for this job except for him and me. 
she has mm-hmm. come to this conclusion after talking to Juliet's dad and Bernard, uh, who said she was a thief, and yeah. uh, to Walker. And after watching her be, like voluntarily seal herself and get sealed inside the generator, and she's yep. come to this conclusion. So we can assume. I think we can assume that it was whatever Walker told her. In addition to the other things, but I think like with more weight on what Walker has told her and the the amount of um, confidence maybe that she has in Walker's opinion. What do you think? What what persuaded her? Um, I think a few things. One, she gets the sense. Um, I think her judgment or the questions that she has after she speaks to the dad um, are more, you know, are probably yes i do think that the walker interview so to speak was what brought her over the edge because then she gets all the information most likely about what actually happened and how juliet ended up down there and how like where she is and who she is as a person and who she is as a person is a survivor um she doesn't she does do things and puts things um puts herself at risk for the good of the silo and mayor Johns also does that. And that's who the sheriff should be. So I think just seeing these sort of testimonials to Juliet's character, despite the fact that she's got some rough edges, um, tr- she trusts her or she trusts her to do the right thing. And she watches her, she watches her put herself in danger. Um, and, you know, this is, and I think that that's what makes her trust her when she says that she needs to shut down uh the the generator to make the repair that is what helps her make the call um because she already witnessed this incredibly difficult but also courageous and terrifying thing um aside from that juliet is very skilled so she is very good at what she does she gets the job done um but and we see this um and i wasn't sure if they were going to go with this so i wasn't sure like when they get into the big action sequence about fixing the uh, blade it is not just her it's a team effort but she is definitely the catalyst and she is the one like okay i'm gonna have to leave this into somebody else's hands and go and help do this so that i can so that they can finish the repair and so that's like i just thought it was like an incredibly effective way um they don't do any sort of like out loud dialogue where the mayor's like i trust you or whatever they don't do anything like that they just show you why which i thought was a pretty cool Cool way of storytelling here again this is like some of the most successful um like both world building but character building that i've seen on in a series in a long time so john's hands her the badge and she doesn't she doesn't flip it over of course uh and then leaves and because juliet's like hell no i don't want to be sheriff Mm -hmm. Um, i'm needed here my job is the most important job in the silo so you know peace and so mayor john's like all right see you later uh, and then there's like a little bit of a um, ch- chewing the fat scene with the the you know our, our friends from Mechanical and Hank because he's basically one of our friends from Mechanical, which is this funny thing where as the mayor and the, the chief dep you know deputy Marns are walking out, Hank is sitting there like gambling with the, yeah, <laughs> with he's the always others. Like this little dark character. He's he's awesome is what he is. Um, so he's in the room and he's like, hey, can I see the badge and turns it over and is like there's something carved in here and i'm like it's it's obviously it says the word truth i don't know why he would be like what is this there's something I know, it's clear it's clear what it's, <laughs> it's like so there. obviously clear and it's not like it's not like it's tiny either it's, it's huge like, yeah. yeah so i don't know i thought they they like wait to reveal what that engraving is until the very end of this episode and i'm like that's a little bit forced yeah. you could you don't i don't feel like you it's it isn't it's like a nice thing to not know what her motivation for changing her mind is until the end, I guess. But it's also like if you were Billy, possible. I mean, if you were Hank, H. A. Conrad, you were Deputy Deputy Conrad, you'd just be like, "Hey, it says truth right here. What does that mean to you?" I know, right? Like, <laughs> what? Why do you think he wrote that in the back of his badge? Uh, and then you know, like spoiler. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so you know what happens after um, Hank says oh what is this and she looks at it she runs after the mayor and says i'll take the job on one condition and marns of course his reactions throughout this process have also been kind of priceless he doesn't want her for the job he thinks this has been like kind of a you know a wild goose chase yep um but he has these like little asides like oh now there's a condition and oh you know hallelujah you don't want the job and things like this uh and that's that you know they'd have to do the shutdown and it's 
like from from her saying that it goes very quickly into this next 30 minute sequence this is a longish episode it's like an hour plus um and so you already we've already been through it feels like a lot uh with this whole uh waking up hungover and interactions with walker and the walk down the silo and then we go into this 30 minutes of like consistent action in the repair of the generator right um and i do agree with you that they show how much of a catalyst that's the i think the correct term for her mm-hmm. uh in in this sequence and i do think one of the things that they're doing this for story reasons putting her in that steam room to almost drown in in practice they'd already gotten her up on the side of the machine they're not going to like take the time to bring her back down so that she can go in there they'll send some other peon in there with the hose to spray the the hatch you know Maybe, I don't know. but that's just, you know. It's just a story maybe thing. Nobody, but maybe nobody else is going to do it. I mean, I think that that was also kind of a piece of that. Possibly. Uh-huh. So. But I feel but, like these people are all used to putting their lives on the line um, okay, for but, this for this giant machine. Uh, but yeah, this scene this scene is interesting. It, it does kind of show her as the only competent person in the room. Shirley and, and Knox are just like holding on to railings and looking at dials and yelling about red things they're very much the scotty (laughs) until shirley does come down to help uh help jules out of the hole eventually but it's yeah it's kind of funny and like you know cooper's dropping things and looking nervous and having a hard time getting stuff to fit in into its housing the guys doing the uh, sheet grinding on the ground floor are taking a long time and although they make that really bent blade super straight they do like really quickly and and the way that they make it look is uh like incredibly um i don't know just uh i don't think that they would have been able to fix that in that amount of time let's just put it that way <laughs> yeah but there were like five of them so maybe by spreading it work out I, I don't know i don't know but yeah it's it's a super fun sequence and and you know i just Part of me thinks that this show has a bit of a pacing issue where a lot of it feels so slow and not necessarily in a bad way. But then this sequence happens and you're like, well, why can't the rest of the show kind of be a little bit more like this? Well, because they have to kind of like alternate it. Um, yeah, but it's like I... there's there's very little of what we're seeing in this. That's what makes it stand out, I guess, in, in how good it is, is that it's it's intense and there isn't a lot of that kind of intensity. Um, but in any case, this was a good, nice way to wrap up the, the saga of the generator. So you don't have to worry about that at this point, at any point further, like it's taken care of. And, you know, they do a beautiful shot of the whole thing running like smoothly and all the lights coming on. Um, but the other thing that happens when the lights go off, like when they do the shutdown in the cafeteria, uh, yeah, on yeah. one of the levels, like basically there's a glitch in the outside thing and you see basically what Holston had seen through his visor, which is like beautiful sunlit things. And some of the people have seen it, too. They, so they feel, you don't know. Nobody says anything, but they're looking at each other. Moment. Yeah. So anyway, so that I feel like we're going to come back to later. Oh, yeah. Um, and then the end of this episode is, you know, with with, you know, we've got. Juliet semi triumphantly like agreeing to go up to the level, but we also have the the sort of outro with with Johns and yeah, and before she leaves, she gives Walker a the camcorder looking thing from George's relic stash mm-hmm. and asks her to like figure it out. I feel like that's gonna probably come back into play later. Yeah, um, and stop. Uh, yeah, and and Jules and. Um, <laughs> Bernard stops Mayor Johns on her way back up the silo to yell at her about uh, turning off the power and making Jules the sheriff, yep. who is not his choice. Um, and then shortly thereafter, Mayor Johns and uh, and Marnes are about to enjoy like a, I don't know, their first real date night because they've just admitted to each other that they both want to retire and uh, have a have a relationship with one another. And then she's dead. Boom. Um, but I also, again, this is more of the great acting and storytelling they do. You already know that these two care about each other, but especially you know how he feels about her. Yeah. 
Because he's um, drawing her and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they do a really beautiful job at showing they're trusting each other and that this relationship and it makes it so horrible at the end of this episode. I mean, I felt like it. we, we knew that it was coming if you've read the books, uh, but like they're the loss, the tragedy of it when both of them have worked so hard for the service of this silo um, and for her to die in this horrible way. And especially everything that you've seen about her, it's like this huge tragic loss and of course yeah. like as a viewer the other thing that you're thinking is or at least what i was thinking is like okay if the power going off for a short amount of time is going to put the silo into this state if we've got the the sheriff who has gone out to clean there's already unrest what's going to happen when this beloved um leader who has been basically the fabric of the silo for so many years like decades and decades um what happens in this case where not only does she die, but it, I mean, to me, it was pretty clear she was murdered. Um, it did not seem natural, whatever happened to her. Um, and it was just a very, and it was so tragic because she knew something was wrong, but like she couldn't tell him and Marnes like has to break down the door and it's just awful. Um, so I mean, the, you're, and, you're bringing up the most important point, which is this cons the conspiracy level of this story. I think you know, like the people, whoever did this. Hmm, okay. Well, I don't want to go too far into like spoiler territory. No, I think you can. I mean, but yeah. So like who, whoever did this is probably also professing to be trying to maintain order in the silo. Yeah, no, probably. Um, right. And like, cause everybody sort of says that like that's at the end of the day, that's almost what everybody says about themselves. It's not order than like pre preserve the silo, protect the silo. And yet right, you're so right. Like, so with Holston, going out now the freaking mayor um and then the act the actions that happen in the next episode like oh, yeah. whoever is behind all of these act actions if it is one actor like they are single-handedly dism dismantling the silo through these things and i don't know how somebody couldn't see that right and um you know I think that there, you know, there's enough breadcrumbs and there's enough things laid out that you're, you know, you have suspicions, and it's kind of interesting to think, see how things are, are playing out. But like, even differ, differing opinions about certain things, like Bernard's comment about Juliet about the heat tape, um, you would imagine that whatever she needed it for, she wasn't stealing heat tape from IT. She was probably taking it to fix something down a mechanical. But he is really focused on this. He brings it up a bunch of times. Yeah. And so um, you can see that he has a very like specific moral compass about right and wrong. And again, it makes sort of his actions as we in this episode more interesting. Um, but um, this, you know, it's not just like this is not simple. And they set it up in a in a really interesting way. And then it suddenly the show becomes a murder mystery. And that's kind of the thing with the books, too. Um, it's really just an interesting way of telling a story in this world that you didn't expect, I guess. So uh, with conspiracy and whatnot. Um, so ready to hop into the next episode? The next one being named Truth, um, which is an interesting name for this one. Uh, it's it's basically the story of Jules is well, not all, only the story, but it begins with the first day of Jules being sheriff. Yeah, <laughs> which is yeah. kind of hilarious because she's she's not even like halfway up. I feel like she's outside me med medical. Yep, isn't I don't know what level me medical's on. I feel like it's around in fifty. The they keep talking about the mids. So and I think it's the, the mid. when a messenger comes and finds her and is like, "There's been an accident," and and she has to like probably haul ass. This is also like the a the a plot. The B plot is all those flashbacks to her as a child, which we've already kind of gone through. So maybe we don't need to talk about those anymore. But the so the the next thing you know, she's up a, a, in the mayor's office, and she kind of silently enters the room as Marnes is losing his mind, talking to uh, Common Sims and mm -hmm. Bernard, Tim Robbins. What an amazing bunch of people they put in this room. Yeah, together. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um... And it's a pretty like a, pr a pretty rough uh, first day for Juliet because basically she walks in, the mayor's murdered, Marnes is losing his mind, uh, Bernard is weirdly like 
uh, almost too calm. Um, and his biggest concern is basically covering this up so there's no panic. Um, so you can kind of see like where that might be okay. And he is mayor pro tem, which should immediately raise some suspicions. Well, I think um, he's like the speaker of the house in this kit in yeah, this case, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so the fact that he's mayor pro tem is just policy. But yes, also, hmm, who stood to gain from Mayor John's being killed? I wonder. Hmm. Yeah, and he keeps he makes comments in in he keeps making comments about oh, God willing, this will only be like a few months until there's a new election, and he. Mm-hmm. So he kind of tried to like say he doesn't want it, but you feel like he wants it. Um, he's a, a very he's especially interested in uh, Mayor John's uh, alcohol collection and and wants to drink a lot of it. Um, given the poisoning, I don't think it's surprising that nobody wants to drink out of those bottles. But the fact that he is for me felt like, oh, well, he knows these aren't poisoned. Um, so I just felt like that was like a subtle signaling there um and so he basically is like well we're gonna like uh we'll get you sworn in um as a new sheriff and then we have to investigate um the death and and all sorts of things um in the meantime um well, sims has been giving has given yep. uh <laughs> marns a list of suspects yep uh like giving this guy he just broke a chair and in yeah. rage in front of you and you're like here you go here's a list of people who might have done it like they're clearly throwing gasoline on the fire mm-hmm. which is funny here too um like this episode i feel like a not a whole ton of stuff really happens in this episode there's plenty of conversations there's plenty of interactions but you could boil it right down in a way to a lot of character development but then Sims asks Marnes one more time to put Billings in as sheriff, and then Marnes is dead. Yep, and Marnes answers no. Um, and then you're like, okay, well, that has to be connected. And, you know, Marnes is also like, oh, she's going to fail on his own. And actually, he does a pretty good job at the logic um, of telling her that, uh, you know... um, telling sims why she should you know stay because it would be better so that she fails on her own that it isn't like she's pushed out that it doesn't cause more drama um and it's better just from a like public relations point of view Mm -hmm. i thought it was a pretty slick uh line of reasoning um but apparently sims didn't feel that way um he just wants to hear what he wants to hear um yeah we also go ahead oh i was gonna say and also juliet's contending with um, there's a lot going on just sort of in her first days. Like, keep in mind, she's from the way down below. We saw what her quarters were. She gets ushered into Holston's apartments, the sheriff's apartments. Um, she's also got her own ulterior, ulterior motives. But the people in his office, like, are really hostile towards her, especially um, the <laughs> Sandy, Sandy, the secretary. Which That's a delicious know. sort of hostility. <laughs> yes, it's really awesome. Um, and she's it starts, a great actor. Yeah, it starts like, here are your keys. This is for this. This is for this. Give me your measurements. I can get you a, um, a uniform by tomorrow. If you bleed in it, you'll be wearing it for a week. Um right. And I then Julie, Jules now. asks one question, like, is there anything I can eat now? And she's like, well, um, I stocked a fridge in your apartment, but I don't know what you people eat down there. So, yeah, <laughs> and then, like it's, and then really... it's on and then it's just like and Jules doesn't even hesitate. And she's like, babies, uh, it's it just gets it goes places. And I, uh, yeah. I rather enjoyed it. Um, it was really it was really good. Um, and, you know, Sandy wants her help solving Marnes's murder. She was very mm-hmm. close with both the sheriff and Marnes and the fact that this has happened. And I mean, Sandy and Sandy's like hostily unhelpful, but then becomes somewhat helpful because she basically wants this solved. Um, and then um, later admits that she never actually thought she was going to be able to do it, but it leads Juliet on this um, sort of um, um not a wild like she basically there's a lot that's revealed in this which is that she never has even really read the pact so she doesn't know all the rules um so it's just really um interesting um that that we have her basically trying to figure stuff out without allies and marnes was 
kind of her her ally, right? No. Marn's Marn, like the first thing he says to her in this episode is like, like, you're going to know what to do in a situation like this. He is one single mindedly trying to find John's killer going around beating people up in, in the streets and in front of children, yelling at the children to go back to school. And <laughs> Jules is like, it's lunchtime school. Stop yelling at kids and beating up, beating up random uh, deadbeats. Um, it is. Imp- yeah. Like this does I, set them up I, to be allies. I think it does in a way because she recognizes the relationship between she knows she sees like the drawing of of Mayor Johns on Marn's wall. Um, They are tent. I think that they're sort of tentative allies. He also wants to know what Holston and her talked about, which she tells him and he gets really upset about that. Um, So there's this whole thing. I mean, his uh, and again, the the cast of this um, is just honestly phenomenal because I do think that, um, you know, Marnes is grieving. He is grieving. He is not logical. He is, you know, doing all these kind of crazy things. Um, and he has this list where it's like all these people that are his enemies. And it just feels very not, I don't want to say neat, but it feels a little too neat. Like that's not why somebody would kill um mayor johns but well he, he has a lot of enemies because he thinks that it was like because it was in there like his water bottle that you know they, they were targeting him yeah, yeah. so um, he's looking for people with a grudge against him like he's he's obviously on the wrong scent uh i think they were both supposed to die i agree i don't think they cared i think they really wanted both of them to to go go down the um go down the the happy trails together but um in any case, it, it, he overhears, you know, Juliet talking about the fact that he might be an ally. She's talking in code to Walker. Um, and that isn't, you know, I I just feel like they do a lot of like kind of like, I don't want to say bait and switch, but they do a lot of like mm. sort of stuff. Like there's this whole thing where he puts up the um, the boxing. Yeah. Where well, you're like, oh, is he about he, to kill himself? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you don't think that that's what where it's going. And then, you know, he's not giving up yet um and again there's like a big show and i think will Patton, as an actor just does this amazing job at sort of seeing like the the gauntlet of emotions yet he's still trying to do right you know so it's like this real struggle that he has um and so you know it's really unfortunate because sort of you know he basically makes the ploy to keep her in the spot at least until they can kind of figure this out um but then of course uh gets killed um and um in the meantime juliet also finds holston's uh file like just set up in this this almost in the same way that george had left the like bag for her in the the weird definitely there's a a parallel there um and after Uh, her complaining to um walker on on her way out of mechanical like that george had left all these clues and she just couldn't figure it out uh you 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 get the sense that her finding this from Holston is going to give her a lot of um like a sense of accomplishment that she'd been missing in the from from George's clues um we we also had the scene of um this character comes back which is why I'm just going to mention him it doesn't feel like a really impactful scene but when she and Marnes together go to talk to this guy Patrick Kennedy yeah. that is the actor Rick Gomez uh recognizable for fans of Band of Brothers he played Lutz and so you you feel like when you see an actor like of that caliber playing a maybe a uh throwaway yeah, something he would be a little bit more important i thought <laughs> yeah a throwaway man on the street he he's the one who breaks Marnes's nose um when so when Marnes is like punching his heavy bag and Sims comes over and once again has that uh pitches billings and Marnes kind of puts it aside and though it seems like a, a collegial a collegial sort of visit you never know with Sims I feel like just never know uh, yeah um so... one other character who we've met in this episode uh, uh a walking dead alumnus Avi Nash, played by Avi Nash, is this character Lucas, mm-hmm. who has a very awkward interaction with Jules in the cafeteria. What do you um what's your immediate gut instinct? What are they doing with this character? What's he there to do? 
Um, well, I think he's there. I mean, because he's looking so close to that screen, um, I thought he was there to sort of un un um unveil some of the mystery or talk about maybe that glitch, but that's not what he eventually does, I guess. Um, but in any case, there's definitely a little bit of a weird uh spark between those two too. Uh, so I, I you don't just were... trot out a no, handsome, were... a handsome man yeah. like Avi Nash, he and... Is, and he is a, a very handsome actor. Um, and so like I, I was really, I was like, oh, I think they're gonna ship these two. Um, and you know, he is uh also this authority because he's like observing, like he's uh they're setting him up as a questioner too. Um, so mm-hmm. he's. You know, and he also is cognizant of the law, like uh, says something funny to her, like, oh, have I done something to be arrested? And she's like, oh, I don't even know. So she's quite honest with him and brash with him from the get go. But but also um, dismissive and just walks yeah. away as soon as she can because she's doing yeah. that cool, socially awkward, yeah, uh, mega, mega confident, powerful person thing that, that <laughs> Jules is a lovely dichotomy that way. Yeah. And once um, again, you know, he you don't trot out an actor like this without them go they're gonna have a significant something you would you would think although they you know what they've been bringing out all these actors and then killing them off really fast so so, i mean that's possible (laughs) yeah yeah Um, but um but so that i think kind of wraps up this whole thing with the yeah um and and i would also say they did show the attacker of um you show his face but you've never seen this guy before as an audience member but i think the point is that it's not patrick kennedy it's not patrick kennedy it is a man in black yep um and honestly at the end of this episode marns is live they're just looking at each other but he's been beaten and he's sitting there at gunpoint so yeah well yeah so but but that is the end of episode four truth it's kind of a slow ish episode i would say it's like for me the first time I watched these, it was, you know, gripping. I'm loving the story. I just think because I'm watching these twice, mm-hmm. they don't always have the same sort of um, appeal the second time. So that, that's know. that's kind first, of my response. I can see that. But I think first time around, they do the, the job. So, yeah. Um, And I think that the puzzle pieces and the like the murder mystery, they do a really good job of teasing that out, but not in a. The writing is really well done. The scripts are well done. The editing is amazing. And the timing of the flashbacks is really good. Um, So I'm still, I'm just so impressed with the show so far. And uh, can't wait to talk about the next couple episodes with you. Totally. Super totally. Well, okay. Yeah. Hopefully um, y'all can join us again next time we talk about episodes five and six of Silo. But you can, in the <laughs> meantime, email us at reanimatedpodcast at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter at reanimatedpcast. And all of our episodes are online at reanimated.podbean.com. H.J. Conrad, any pearls of wisdom as we leave? No pearls of wisdom. Um, but, you know, hope the air is clear for everybody uh, in the next week or so. And until next time, ciao. All righty. Cheerio.